hockey fans, welcome to Across the Pond, Hockey Talks Volume 21. I'm your host, Chris Ivany, and my guest today vient de la Belle Province, Quebec, Canada. He's had an amazing hockey career and an incredibly inspiring journey through life. He played 12 years of professional hockey in six different leagues, including 125 games in the AHL. He was an ECHL All-Star. In 2002, he led the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League with 596 penalty minutes, and in 2013, won a championship in Slovenia. He's now in Indianapolis, working at the Center of Excellence as a success coach. He's coaching the under-13 AAA Tri-State Spartans, and he's a mental health advocate. His voice and his message are of utmost importance. He's one of the hardest working hockey players I've ever watched and a fan favorite everywhere he's played. Please welcome to Across the Pond Hockey Talks, Monsieur Pascal Morancy. How are you, Pascal? Hey, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, thanks for the introduction. I'm very happy to be here and, uh, and to, to connect with you. Yeah, me too. It's, uh, it's, it's a small circle of connection that, uh, that made this happen. So we'll, we'll have to, to thank Mr. Stuart McRae for, uh, for hooking this up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, Pascal, let's go back to where did, where exactly in Quebec did you grow up and tell us a little bit about your childhood and, and your family. Um, I mean, I grew up in Quebec in, uh, Montreal area in the suburb. Um, um, I'm the youngest of, uh, of three, I have three siblings, one sister two uh, and two older brothers. Um, and then now I have a, uh, a 10 year old, uh, ha- uh, sister as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, so I grew up there and, uh, we all, uh, the whole family was pretty much in sport uh, growing up. Um, uh, my dad was working with the Expos, Montreal Expos at the time. Okay, so cool. I would go to the, to the, uh, the games a lot. So I was, uh, I was always pretty active and stuff and play hockey in the street or, uh, the outdoor ice rinks or, and things like that. So, um, I, um, I eventually, uh, became, uh, became a dream and, and something to get after. Right. And when did, when exactly did hockey become such a big part of your life? How old were you when you, when you got started? Um, well, I started when I was four, um, and then I went on to, um, I was like, I was very, uh, passionate and, and like a dreamer mm-hmm. and, um, and then, but like, you know, I never played like Adam Peewee Bantam, like, oh, well, Bantam I did, uh, play double A, but okay. you know, I would like, I would, I wouldn't make it to the double A, but I was still like... I uh, still dream until at some point the dream kind of fell through for a little bit and I went into, uh, uh, you know, around 12, uh, you know, 11, 12, 13, like around there I went through some more tough time and then at some point I kind of, um, I always remember that I asked my, my father if I, um, if I would like, I think I was playing band, band double C mm-hmm. or just about. And I said, Hey, uh, do you think that if I, you know, really, uh, commit and whatever that I can play, you know, and play hockey and, you know, do this, uh, as an, uh, you know, as a dream. And, yeah. and he said, yeah, absolutely. So at that point I just kind of like, 
shift gear, start mm-hmm. to work out in my basement, um, start doing stuff like that to, uh, and then from, I got an invitation to, um, uh, at AAA, which Pascal Vincent was the head coach okay, there. Okay. There's a connection and, to Cape Breton. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, he got a letter that I was invited, um, so there's not a lot of players that gets invited to major AAA uh, right. out of Bantam Double C. Yeah, how did that happen uh, exactly? How did he see you, or how did he find out I, about you? I can't remember. Like I don't know what what happened, but um, there's a you know I was the only one from that team that that went. I, I mean I had a good year. Uh, I mean I was like determined. I you know I was on a mission, mm-hmm. and and then I guess uh, they heard good things and then I was invited and then I ended up being like the last guy caught at camp which uh it was my uh I still had another year Bantam so I went back Bantam and that was the first time I played Bantam double A level right and you kind of you knew it you knew going back to Bantam at that point that being the last cut that you you really had a chance to make (laughs) that team right yeah yeah basically I showed up at the I normally get caught up uh, the double A team, but I, I like, you know, I got back and I was like, basically the team was done. So, I mean, it, it would have looked kind of silly if they would have just sent me down, but, yeah. um, yeah. So, uh, so you ended up, you ended up in Laval for basically uh, a year and a half, it seems looking at your, um, your stats. So yeah. Tell me about, yeah. uh, tell me about, first of all, you, draft day that's all i like to hear what what you were doing the day that you got drafted in the fourth round to uh the shikudami segne well um the day i mean i actually like so it was in i believe it was in uh quebec or um um I don't know. I can't remember can't where remember. the draft was. Yeah, it's all right. Um, but um, it was it was good. I mean, it was <laughs> it was exciting. I mean, I I didn't know where where I was going to come out and when or right. whatever because I um, I didn't meet that many teams and I just remember uh, I saw like uh, Gaston Terrian, who's uh, he's with RDS, like he's an analyst mm-hmm. now. Yep. Um, he, um, uh, he gave me an advice. He's like, make sure that when you meet teams, like, um, that you're going to be the one that stick out out of the whole bunch. And so, um, so I've just had like two or three meeting and then I had one more, which you could me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure they're going to remember me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, then, and then so he was asking me, like they were asking me questions like, um, um, who do you hate the most uh, from the, the league last year? And I was like, I hate them all. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> and yeah. they're like you know, they would say, um, what if you show up at Cam and a 20-year-old veteran show up next to you and said, hey, Morenci, I'm going to throw you in the, in the tent row in the stands. I, I said, you better make it quick because you're the one going, oh, like, you know, I was just answering like that. Yeah, you like, gave them everything they wanted. Yeah, and then, like, sort of, like, fourth round, they draft me. I think that that meeting changed everything, um, so... And how did, how was that experience in Shikudami? I was I actually was fortunate enough. I've spent uh, four months in Shikudami when I was in university, 
And um, it's just a, just a really unique little town. Tell me a little bit about your experience there. Uh, I love, like, it's such a beautiful town. It is, right? It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's such a great place to live. I feel like, um, you know, um, I really enjoyed, um, you know, I mean, the, the, the hockey side, I mean, uh, for my experience, like it was a little rough, uh, mm-hmm. when I was there for that. But besides that, like everything, like, uh, from my, like my billets family and the yeah. people in the town is so gorgeous over there. It is, the, yeah. All along so, the St. John uh, river. Uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, uh, how did the trade to Cape Breton happen? I was just, uh, things were not unfolding. I mean, it took me a while before, like, uh, really feeling comfortable to who I was. I didn't know what kind of player I, you know what I mean? Like, I was in the midget AAA, I was the captain of my team, I was like, uh, you know, like I would play second line, you know, and then, um, there's no fights. There's right. no, you know, so it's a different, different game. Then you go to junior and then you're on the fourth line and then, um, you know, you don't have any power play. You don't have any right. penalty killing. You're, you're just sitting there and then you made the team because, you know, you kind of uh, fought a few times Yeah. and, and then you made a team, but then like the season goes on and then like you're, you're in the stands then that night you play, but yeah. you don't play much, so you don't know how to to fulfill this role, or you know, like you don't understand fully everything how it's uh, how it works, and so it was really, really hard. That was like um, my first experience of being uh, uh, not my first, but like uh, with with hockey, like I, I got depressed, and yeah. then um, and then I uh, asked for a trade, and then. Um, they ended up trading me um, to Cape Breton. Right. And was Pascal already in Cape Breton at the time? Yes. Yes, right. he was. So you had yeah. that connection. So um, yeah. this is where I first met you and uh, and watched you play hockey was, was at Center 200. You, you so quickly became a fan favorite and it seemed like, you know, that role was built for you. What was it like to play in front of that crowd in Cape Breton and, you know, our remote little island? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was the, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like the first time of, uh, I tasted, you know, like really, uh, this, this, this feeling of a dream as a kid, you know, where you go and you play and like the fans are behind you and, and they're cheering for you. I mean, that was a, that was a, like a, a dream for me, you yeah. know, like, um, so to experience that at that age, like 17, 18, 19, uh, you know, like it, it took me, uh, it took me a while before I, you know, really, uh, like discover myself pretty much, uh, like kind of like have an identity about like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Like, you know what I mean? Because, I I started at the 17. I was like pretty quiet, you know, like there's a lot of veteran like so um and then at the 18, I don't know if you if you remember or yeah, uh, I, I well I um I left uh, I left the 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 nest. I left uh, Cape Breton and went home mm-hmm. uh for many months um and then at one point I you know I Start playing junior AAA, 
and then I quit and then I was done playing hockey and then I got a phone call from Pascal Vincent and he said uh he said if you want to play uh against Bacon I think I think they had a bunch of suspension and injury and stuff like that and it's like uh, and I was still on their list so he's like if you want to play against Bacon or tomorrow um are you in I said yeah <laughs> and then wow. so I I flew the next day and I was not even, I was like, I was not even, I was selling clothes. Like, Were you in shape? No, but it didn't matter, man. I yeah. was, <laughs> you were so excited. I was, yeah, I was like, I was out of shape, but really like, I think uh, Pascal managed my time well and I just went there and that's where it all started. Like the, the shit disturber, like we say, like we yeah. call it, like it's that's where it all like really started. It's that first game there, like I went right. there, show up in Cape Breton, and I drove them crazy the whole game, and then it never stopped after that. So was there something that clicked in your time away, and then you finally got that call, and you're like, all right, I'm I'm willing to like give into this role and give it everything that I got. Yeah, I mean uh, for sure. I mean. Um, it was, uh, you know, starting my 18 years, uh, junior and, um, I was like on the fort line and it was like the same kind of, same kind of thing. I didn't have my full identity. I remember like, uh, you know, he was trying to help me find my identity as a player, you know, yeah. like, and I, I, I so remember like him drawing in a meeting, like some chairs. And, you know, like, it would be like, there's some chairs and this is what, you know, some, some of the chair, where do you feel like you can, you know, and he like did an amazing job, like trying to make me realize that I, I didn't really had an identity. I was just kind of going through it and hoping I would become a first liner and score like 30 goals, but, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. so so basically like and then so i was again i was depressed i got depressed again and i left and um went to junior triple a and i didn't have uh if i didn't have a dream then i might as well like i quit so i just right. like stopped and then um and then went back home and then when that call came and i was like okay this is like i'm gonna do something that you know and i'm gonna have to be remembered so that's pretty much what my drive to get uh that crazy my 19 years uh my, my 19 years old yeah. year um and get that many pounds in minutes i mean right. i know that i was not going back to sell clothes <laughs> you weren't going back to the mall you know that team in cape breton when you joined it you know when the, it was an expansion team in the early 90s right so it, we watched yeah. that team develop over the years and yeah. you kind of came in at a time when the cape breton screaming eagles were becoming a legit organization in the queue you know they had mm -hmm. pascal they had great leadership right from the top down right and right. you had you were there for three really good years you were in the playoffs all three years there was some great leaders and veterans on that team. Um, who were some of the guys that helped you out along the way? Well, I mean, my uh, when I moved in my billets, I mean, uh, Sheila Madison and Sandra Madison, uh, they, they, you know, they they had um, already David Saint Germain, the goalie, mm -hmm. um, and so just to be in like with them and i mean they really like made me feel at home there and then with david he was a 19 year old 
uh, that, um, and he's like, you know, he made things so much easy for me. Um, you know, like it's, uh, just to get fit in, um, you know, David, David was liked by everybody on the team. Um, so he's as much as like the, the, the French people, the English people that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was like, he was a good, uh, he had a good humor. He was the number one goalie. He was great. And, um, so that really facilitated my, uh, uh, me getting in at that point for sure. Right. And let's get back. Let's talk about that season. 596 penalty minutes, 77 more in 16 playoff games. That's what you hold the Eagles franchise record. And the Eagles have had some heavyweights over the years, like Hunter Lahash and, and the late Trevor Ettinger, rest in peace. And how are you able to, you, I mean, you're a five foot ten guy. You, you stood up against the toughest guy in the league night after night. How did you manage to pull that off? And was there a point in the season where you were like, I can see that I have a chance of setting this record? And was that kind of in the back of your mind as a motivator? Well, to answer your first question, um, you know, with uh, with with like Edinger and um, and Lahash, and I mean, we had like like even my first year Senesak uh, yeah. with Broca uh, and then like uh, when Ettinger got traded to Moncton we had Ryan Flynn that came in mm-hmm. uh, we, like we always had like uh, I feel like I'm forgetting one but um, we always had like so many um, so many like a tough team uh, yeah. the whole years uh, and then like George Davis right I mean like <laughs> yeah it doesn't get any tougher than those guys yeah so um, it's it was like it, was, it made my job like pretty easy in some ways because like I mean I was just going out there and stirred a pot and and yes I, I would fight but you know what I mean like I I you know when you know like you have like all these guys like yeah you know ready to play to a little bit back and yeah yeah a hundred percent um so it was uh it was awesome like and and uh, and thankfully like I mean with my style some coach understood like it's good to to have like with with that kind of hockey like that we you know it's changed now but like back then like you know you put me with like some tough guys and then it's it's annoying because i am like the game's not gonna go quiet and um and then i have all these guys like ready to <laughs> you know drooling like, <laughs> next to me like ready to go so it was a it was a good combination and and um so it it, it really made my my uh my work a lot easier yeah you were surrounded by great people there were some great leaders on those teams over the year did you play with like jp cote and uh yeah yeah max Lassard. yeah well you know jp cote was a a great captain uh you know so uh uh we had like we had great people like uh, noel like was there and then Lassard. i mean Lassard was like uh a close friend, uh, you know, my, we were always like, I mean, like together and even still, I talked to him last week. It was good chatting with him and stuff. So it's, he remains somebody that's like a, a brother to me. Uh, even though we, we can go like, I don't know, like we can go a year without talking, but it's, uh, it's, uh, 
he still and then Dixon came in my billets yeah. um so it was uh it was awesome to uh we really connected to and uh you know we we uh we've kept in touch we we uh we played uh, we played against in um in the American League I think um you played so, against Steven yeah, yeah I think when he was in Portland yeah um and then um he had nothing yeah, but nice got, things to say about you as well I mean yeah I mean he's, he was just uh he was 16 I was 19 we had a little age gap yeah. you know at that at that time mm-hmm. uh but you know he was the coolest 16 year old uh, you know like a, yeah. a guy could have uh, could have asked for you know like yeah. he was uh it was fun. I had a blast being at home in the billets. He's always, this guy's always laugh. He always like, uh, he's got a good spirit. It was actually very happy for me to be, uh, to be in a, in a, like to have it at home and stuff because, you know, like when my, uh, my story, like it's, it's easy for me. To, it was easy for me to get down and, and, and hard and depressed, but like yeah. this guy brought like something in, in the home. Yeah. I didn't notice at the time, but today when I look back, I know how, uh, you know, he, he, he had an impact on, on my well-being. Of course. Yeah. But he's uh, he's a very positive, uh, happy, happy go lucky kind of guy. So it's yeah, always good to yeah. have those guys around. So how, how yeah. sad were you when you had to leave Cape Breton in your, uh, your final year in, in Quebec major junior? I was, I was pretty sad and I was, uh, it's like, I couldn't believe it. And some, at the same time, you know, like, um, uh, I knew that we were about like seven uh, guys that were overage yeah. after my 19. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty sad. I was pretty, um, it was, it was a shock, but like, you know, things, things moved on and, yeah. and I, I had a great year in Ranaranda. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, great group and, and, you know, it's, you, you just, uh, it was my first experience of like leaving a place and, and, uh, really letting go of a place that you, you felt like, you know, it's almost like you felt like you belong there. And then you realize that your guy was my first experience, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was always always harder when it's the first time happening. I think that's a, a little bit to do with the uh, Cape Breton hospitality, and um, I'm sure you you appreciated all all the all the things that the fans and the locals did for you guys. Yeah, I mean they were so supportive, and I felt a real connection there. And I know they appreciate what I was doing on oh, the they ice, sure did. and yeah, yeah. So uh, it was. Um, it was it was just like great memories for me for forever like i still uh uh you know like have that dvd thing not dvd but like the now it's on but videos i have videos of my time there so it's pretty cool like uh to have that and and it just remembers how like wild and crazy sometimes i was but um we certainly we always appreciated the the hard-working guys just like yourself let's go into your uh, pro hockey career now in 2003 you signed with the flint generals of the uhl what was that first year of pro like for you what was the jump like from going from junior to the uhl 
I mean, it's it's a big jump. Um, you know, you're kind of living in the billets, and then you go, and then um, and then you know, I mean, I was like, uh, I I started there, like I didn't know what to expect, and um, and you know, you go, and then you see like these men's, and yeah, you're playing you know, with older like, guys. How did yeah, how did they yeah. how did they grab you? How did you end up in in Flint? I was uh, had a tryout with the Chicago Wolves, mm-hmm. and then when I got cut, um, they said that the Flint Generals would uh, would. Le- oh yeah, and the guy, my roommate, uh, was going there. He played there. Oh, he signed. He had already signed there. Right. Um, and his name was J.P. Morin. Uh, he played in Drummondville back then uh, during my years, but now he was there and then uh, he was signing uh, with Flynn. And then so I got he, I got an invitation. <laughs> so right. I drove with him. Yeah. So like really like no clue where I was going to end up. But so I left Chicago, went to Michigan, and then um, and then you know I show up at camp and did what I did, and the coach Robbie Nichols was like. Uh, Love that stuff. Right. <laughs> so I made, You're in. I made the team. Yeah. yeah. So the the next year, did you try out again for the Chicago Wolves and ended, or were you traded that year? Because I, you went, you played a couple games with Wilkes-Barre and and spent the yeah. most the majority of the season with the Wheeling Nailers. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So basically, that following year, I had a tryout with Wilkes-Barre. Yeah. Uh, that was during the lockout year. Oh right, and okay. yeah. So that was the uh, hardest so, year to ever make an AHL team. I know, like, <laughs> uh, and so Mark Andre Fleury was there. Um, you know, um, Max Talbot was there. Yeah. Uh, Ra- Ramsey Abed was there. Um, Alain Azardine was there. Um, so it was like a good. It was a, I mean, a lot of guys that you know we know, but um, I showed up there, and I'm I. I I made actually. I made. I started the year there, uh, didn't play much, and then I ended up playing two games, and then um, uh, then another guy, uh, uh, Mike Scroy, came in, and then so they sent me down to Wheeling, and then I um, and then I played there uh, most of the year. Um, yeah, I played there, and then uh, so that was yeah, and then the next year. I played in. I actually didn't. That's where things kind of got rocky for me too. Right. So. And then you ended up going to Fort Wayne for a while. Um, I actually listened to that interview you did with the uh, local radio guys. I guess they were in in Fort in Fort Wayne. Um, then after your year in Fort Wayne, you you became a mainstay in the AHL in Bridgeport. So what? Yeah. How did that happen? And and uh, you, how did you get that opportunity? Well, I mean, I got a, an invitation in Bridgeport. Uh, my uh, coach in Fort Wayne, he uh, became the assistant coach there. So I got an invitation, and he knew what I was capable. Right. Um, you know, so um, so I got an invitation, and Jack Capuano was the head coach. And wow. then uh, I, sh- I showed up. I showed up there. Um, and basically did what, you know, what I did in Cape Breton and, and yeah. you know, I just like, uh, hitting people and tents and drawing penalty fighting and like things like that mm-hmm. being sm- like also being smart, like, 
trying to show that you know I can get some power play. I'm not just going to put the team on the, right. the uh, on the PK and well, stuff. Well, by that so, time, you you had that role probably you know down to a to a fine art at that point. Yes, yes. So, um, so I think it was a, a you know it was a big surprise for a lot of uh, of these guys there, um, and and. I know Jack uh, Capuano. He he uh, he really respected me. Um, so the three years I had him as a head coach, um, he had nothing but respect. And um, you know he he would he would let me know how much he appreciate you know everything I do for the team. And like he was just a class act uh, coach. And um, you know it just makes you want to go. You want you want to go out there and do more, you know. Right. Like when when the coach like, you know, appreciates and and Absolutely. show you respect and all that. Like it's just like I wanted to go out there all out, you know. That's all you want from a from a, as a hockey player. All you want is the respect of your yeah. coach. Yeah, yeah. And right. he would be honest too sometimes, you know. Like let's say I was not playing, uh, you know, and he would tell me like, you know, it's like. Um, you know, Pascal, I mean, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I have to play these guys. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, it all involved like contracts and things like that. But, yeah. you know, I, I so would want to have you out there tonight. Uh, but, you know, I really have to put these guys in the lineup, um, you know, because sometimes like I'm a 26, 27 year old. And then you have like a 23 uh, Islanders, you know, sign on a three years entry level, like right. so they, or something like that. So they cannot, like, they want to develop these guys, so they can't just have them sit in the sense too much. Or so he would be kind of upfront with it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's all you can ask for. Obviously, he's a great coach to end up where he's yeah. at today. And yeah. did you uh, yeah. did you ever feel like at that time that you were going to get a shot with the Islanders, or was it just too much of a depth chart at that time? Uh, no, I mean, it was, uh, I was really, um, I was, I was chasing it like crazy. Right. I mean, uh, I was chasing it like crazy. Yeah. Um, and I was, uh, I was training hard and I was like, really, uh, I was really going for it. Right. So after your, your third year in Bridgeport, you went on to play one more year in the AHL with, with Houston and you split that mm -hmm. season with Bakersfield. Um, tell me a little bit about that final year. And, and at that time, did you know that you were going to start uh, looking into options in Europe? Well, so basically, my all my years in Bridgeport, like I, like so by being a Fort Line kind of guy, I would kill penalty and stuff. But I started like I was going on the ice like forty minutes before practice, shooting pucks. Right. And so those like after that, like I I don't know, I just improved some skills there. And then when I showed up uh, in Bakersfield, um, actually I signed I signed very late. Um, I went to training camp in Wilkesbury. I signed late with Houston. The season was already starting or was about to start in Bakersfield. Yeah. And so so I showed up there and then I started to play. I think I was on the third line, you know, no power play or anything like that. And um and that was fine. I mean, uh but you know, I told the coach, I'm like, Hey, you know, can I get a shot? Like, you know, I think like I can like I know I can shoot the puck. Like right. again I 
And so basically I started to, um, he's like, okay, I'll think about it. But then I, without being on the power play, I started to score some goals. And then, um, then he put me there. And then I was like, uh, then I had like 17 goal in 36 games. Yeah, you did. That was probably your biggest offensive year. And it led yeah. you to being an all-star, and you also participated in the uh, the sharpshooter yeah. event. Tell me a little bit about yeah. that experience. That yeah, must have no, been fun. Was, yeah, yeah no, that was fun. Um, you know, I kind of like uh, with working on my skills and stuff. Like I, I in my comprehension of the game too, like increased yeah. over the years by being. Uh, it's crazy. Like it's something that I feel like we don't talk about enough. But you know, when I was playing, uh, even Fort Wayne, Wheeling, uh, even Bridgeport is when I start paying more attention to the things. And then my comprehension of the game, and then I said the hockey IQ and things like that, like start to develop. But I didn't right. have that before. I did not even understand that there was a thing. Right. So basically, like once you, so when I showed up in Bakersfield, like I had a, a not only a better shot, but also an understanding of the game better. You know, like I was right. able to to see things on the eyes that I couldn't, or so I just, you know, and then I was very confident with my shot and start scoring goals and, um, so yeah, so it was it was good. It right. was good. Like, well, obviously you're you're someone who uh, who can set his mind to something and, and accomplish it. So once you once you set your mind to showing up at that camp, you know, in good shape, like you said, you're working on your shot, you're working on your skills, and uh, and it certainly showed that year. And yeah. when did the when did the opportunity come to uh, to make the switch and and move overseas to play in Europe? Was it was it one of those yeah. friend connection things? Well, no, I mean, it, it was like the head coach in Bakersfield to who I started to score goals. And right. he saw like my, uh, not only like I could play the other games and I did, uh, but I would also score goals and stuff like that. So he got the job in uh, Austria, in Croatia. Mm-hmm. And so he, uh, he signed me. Um, and then I was, you know, I was doing well there too. Um, and, uh, but yes, it's from being able to, it's from scoring these goals that you're in Bakersfield that, you know, lend me a opportunity to go play in Europe after, you know? Right. Yeah. So, um, um, but yeah, um, things were, were going well until, uh, that head injury happened. And, right. Yeah. We will get yeah. into that in a few minutes. Uh, before we do though, you, the end of your career, you ended up winning a championship over in Slovenia. Did that did that lead to your decision? You know, to it was okay to hang up the skates now that you, you'd won a championship. Um, no, I mean I played after I played after that. I played in um, um, in the UK. Yeah, in the uh, in in England, right? Yeah, yeah, I played in England, and then. Um, I, my first game of the season, I had another concussions and, right. and then I, I came back like in November, uh, played another game. And then again, like my, my head was in right. Right. And I was like not feeling myself. And so I had to, uh, I had to hang up. Right. And um, obviously after, after hanging up the skates, you took on a ser- very serious role 
becoming a, an advocate for, for mental health. And, you know, I think it's so important that you're here to talk about it today. And if you don't mind, I'd like to lead a, read a little excerpt from your, from your website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So you wrote, on the ice, I appeared fearless. But off the ice, I was anything but courageous. Escaping my inner battles consistently through drugs and alcohol, I ended up dealing with severe anxiety, depression, and repeatedly considered taking my own life. Now, Pascal, I can't tell you what I feel when I read that. I mean, it, it's, it's so profound and it's so honest and it, it's so important that we discuss these things. And first of all, mm. I, I commend you for, your, for everything you've done and your bravery for you know, telling your story and, and really helping people like heal from this. And mm -hmm. uh, if you don't mind, like take me back to the beginning. Um, how old were you when you really started noticing signs of, of depression and anxiety? 12. Yeah. Yeah. I was about 12 years old. Um, that's where right before I made that shift to go after um, hockey, mm -hmm. uh, when I asked my dad, um, where you know you think i can still do this because yeah. i remember like school uh the way things like like i was struggling in schools yeah. you know i was like having extra tutor after school to go work for my homework because i was i was just struggling in this in this kind of environment and systems and the memorization is just not um it's not it's not for everybody, you know. Uh, what yeah, I mean? absolutely, and I understand completely. As a teacher, yeah. I, I see these things all the time, and yes, yes, and it's not everybody. Like to yeah. educate, um, some people will work well in that environment. Some people will not. But right. you know, we we have one system for all different type of people. Right. Um, so it, this got me very um, like so basically like you you have to succeed at school or you'll be broke. And you won't, you know, you'll be washing dishes for the rest of your life, sort of right. thing. Like these kind of like people, like these kind of line that you hear and people say this at school and like, uh, and then it makes you feel like you're lesser than anybody else that's right. there succeeding at school or having it easy, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I remember being frustrated. Why did it, like, why am I so hard for me? You know what I mean? And you start to believe, you start to think like, well, maybe I'm more dumb, you know, like, right. so it's yeah. kind of like can have a, a major impact, which is it cannot be any further away from the truth, right. you know, like, um, so, so then you, you start, like, you have like these, uh, unconscious belief that you're like less than others. Right. And it's just like, and then it's a snowball effect and it's just, uh. You kind of like your perspective becomes like very, sh like you know, very dark, and and then you're like depressed. You know? Right. So uh, that's why it, it began. Right. So like focusing was focusing on hockey something that you you did to kind of bury those feelings, and what was that that cycle? How did it start? Like, did it first yeah, start with so, denying? Yeah. So uh, hockey was like my way out. Right. Sort of. You know, like mm -hmm. it was like something I was passionate. Uh, it was a dream and it was a way out of that, you know, system. Um, so basically, um, I ended up like stopping going to school and just 
going after hockey, you know, right. even though I was not the most, you know, I was never the most talented and I had to find, I like, I had to find a way I had to find an identity. I had to find some way to, to make it happen. Um, because the other route was, uh, didn't, um, was not for me. So, right. And at, at what age did you start, were you old enough to start understanding that, you know, there's something wrong, like that I'm feeling this way and, and wondering what it was. And was there anyone that you talked to as a teenager that, you know, kind of explained to you maybe with the feelings that you were going through? No, I, honestly, like I started, that's where like drinking started. That was my, uh, you know, I mean, my, my father was always like very present and, um, you know, he, he was always like, I uh, wanted, like, uh, my parents would always be like, wanted to be there too. But, um, but really like I would kept, I would keep it for myself most of the time. And, right. uh, I didn't really have anybody to, um, you know, like if I would talk about, you know, with my friends, let's say Lassard, uh, you know, it was just like to, to rant about it, but nothing to really like try to, to heal yourself or, right. you know, try to get better. It's more like without even, without we, we realize and we, you know, um, it's like you're, you're sharing to, to express how a victim you are of this and that and this and that, and how you just want to go and get, you know, uh, get like drunk and, you know, because yeah. you're, going through this or going through that and let's get let's get you know shit face tonight and, yeah you know so. forget about the forget about all the bad things yeah so, let's let's go change our mind let's get yeah. our mind off of this so right. that's the kind of the the easy way out line that yeah right. so as you were as you were going through the you mean you're, you're going through the hockey ranks here from midget triple a to quebec major junior you're starting to think about a a life uh, and a future in hockey um, how hard was that for you to, to continue to battle, like basically on your own and you didn't have the ability to, at that time to really reach out to, to anyone? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it was hard. Like hockey, hockey is, uh, is very emotional. Yeah. Uh, it's a roller coaster. Uh, it goes like, uh, it goes up high, not down low and like very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you go, you know, and, and as a, as a, the type of player too, that I was, it's not like I'm there and, and like one night I can lose my fight and then be in scratch or, you know what I mean? And then, uh, you're on top of the world one moment. yeah, Yeah. And then like you have a home game, sold out crowd and then you, you're back in the lineup and then uh, you win your two fights and then like whatever. And then like you're in the locker room and everybody's like, yeah, everybody. And then you get like, um, you got the whole, like the whole arena on their feet. And yes. you know what I mean? Like, so now it's like completely different. It just shifts completely radically. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's a big, uh, it's a big, uh, roller coaster. Right. And I think that um, I think that for most people that does this kind of job are more emotional people. Yes, sometimes like that's what I was gonna uh, say. Very, yeah, so uh, it's uh, it's it's easy to uh, want to 
to bury those after like uh, after so much intensity to go uh, want to go distract yourself and and, and get um you know go drinking or right. whatever. Yeah. So yeah. you you battled that for a long time, uh, Pascal. But in 2011, you suffered a, a major head injury. And uh, tell us yeah. a little bit about that, and and how did that moment become the turning point in your battle? Um, so, oh, I mean, it, it's been years. Like, I mean, yeah. So I, the lad, the, the year prior to that, um, that's when like I was seeing a psychologist, and and I just kept saying like things need to change. Like, you know, I was like, I could get very depressed. And, and so, and she, she tried to help me out and tried to make me see things, but I guess I, you know, I was still not fully ready. And, um, and then, you know, I just was, uh, I just kept repeating myself, like things has to change. Things has to change. Things has to change. Like I couldn't keep up. Like I couldn't keep going like this. Yeah. I know I couldn't. And it's almost like life took care of it. And, um, you know, Christmas party with the team. And, uh, I woke up the next morning in the bottom of the stairs. I don't know what happened. Don't remember anything. Um, my head was almost like, I mean, it was so, I had two skull fractures, um, you know, uh, no blood. It was not, I was not bleeding, but my head was swollen. Mm. And I think I fell off those stairs there. Um, you know, it was concrete stairs, um, of an apartment building. And after that, I mean, I was just completely lost, didn't understand. And, you know, I had a bleeding in the brain. I was in a critical condition. And, um, and then, you know, things, um, at the hospital, I didn't know why, but I, like I said, like, this is the best thing that could have ever, ever happened to me, you know? And, uh, and I was still in my hospital bed. I mean, slowly, you know, I, when I, once I left Croatia and went back home, I had a camping, um, a camper in a camping and that's where I would like, and just to be with my big Newfie, I had a Newfoundland dog and like, uh, in nature and by myself and just like it was therapeutic for me um i stopped drinking i stopped everything uh you know and then uh you know it was just like a new me it was like a new experience to life like mm-hmm. i was just like i didn't know if i was gonna play hockey i was trying to get back to war training but i like it took a while before i was able to so everything i would do is like on fire at night and got my big dogs and and just i don't know just chill there and read some books or you know it's just uh very therapeutic for sure and at that time in croatia you obviously you you didn't have any family there with you you were probably pretty alone in that hospital Uh, tell me a little bit about that and and you know that gave you some time to to dig deep inside yourself and yeah so so basically after the head injury, I was not like fully aware of like, I was just, uh, um, I didn't like stop drinking once that injury happened. I, when I got out of the hospital, I, you know, I was like, okay, I started to, to go out again and I know I couldn't play, but I started to go out and, 
And I was kind of like, didn't know. Uh, I was more like, I was still like, almost like heading down that path again, you know right. what I mean? For uh, until, you know, until I went home, um, that's where I stopped. I remember, I remember on that plane, um, and all these things with like, uh, also like the um, self prescribed medication, you know what I mean? And all that stuff. Like, I remember that I saved uh, two, uh, two like uh, uh, MBN or sleeping pills or whatever for my ride home. And that was going to be it. On the plane, yeah. Yeah. And wow, it's wild, man. That. Yeah. So I'd like to know, like, can you tell me what are some of the signs that people can maybe look for in teenagers, classmates, teammates, whatever, whatever it may be that might indicate that someone's going or dealing with, with mental illness? And, and the second part of that question, what's the best way to approach somebody in that situation? Well, you know, a lot of times uh, there's, there's, there's many reasons why, um, you know, there's, there's people can have either shame or guilt or, you know, don't want to go there. And it's not like, unless the person is ready to, um, there's, there's two, there's two way, you know, I feel like I'm, I now today I'm like, I can, I can see when, when somebody is ready yeah. and when somebody's not. You know, mm -hmm. if you're like somebody is like quick to respond, quick to reply and talk about what's happened, their, their circumstance more than um, like uh, more than like how he feels and how he can like get through this and whatever. But more like if it's quick to respond about like, you know, how uh, stuck or how like um you kind of i'm more like with my experience i'm i i see very quickly now like how um how open somebody is in that thing right. and then if he's ready right now to uh for me to share anything you know what i mean some people right. are just not ready yet you know like some people are are just not there yet you know it, it, they and that's the purpose of pain is to wake you up. So sometimes you go through this and you go through this cycle and you go through this cycle and then, um, and then you don't, you know, you don't fully understand until at some point, you know, you, you're sick and tired of going through that same old routine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Stuck stuff that happens. And then you just want to, you want to feel better. And then you like, it all depends for me like it was a head injury and like everything and then i was just like okay my my season's over like i didn't get i didn't get my salary i didn't like you know what i mean i went through pain but you know i had to make change like you have to take responsibility of your change and um you you have to make you have to take responsibility to bring change um so um so it's really like and when you see somebody like uh, focus on pointing fingers mm -hmm. at the circumstance that people or things like this, more than likely he's not yet ready to hear what you have to say or what you're trying to point at. Right. Um, but you know, it, it, you, you can, uh, 
you can hold some like uh you can be there and present and let him know you're there um yeah. if he you know if you if he's like really wants to um get better or you know um so maybe it will uh maybe it will happen in a month where he'll come from a different place or you know a year or you know uh, sometimes you just don't hear back but it's um you know you can't force somebody um right. to get to get it or to wake up or to you know you can't yeah um, you know they everybody has their their experience and you can just let him know that you know when you when you're ready yeah when you're ready like if when you you when you will be sick and tired of like uh if you're really like tired of that stuff then um you know just and you want to work through this mm -hmm. then um you know let me know and and we can talk and I'll be happy I'll be there and I'm right. happy to help you you know Right. I know how difficult it is to reach out for help and and do you have any advice for people that might help them get past that first step? To reach out. Yeah, I mean um there's no shame. It's I mean there's uh I you know we there's no weakness, there's no shame in this. It's not like it's not that um it's there's nothing embarrassing about it, mm -hmm. you know. Um and like like it, you know like it's been saying more and more it's becoming more known that it's yeah. not a sign of weakness it's a mm -hmm. sign of strength um so basically um it's it's what to understand that and and, and to go and to open up um it's it, it's huge and then to and to be radically honest with yourself to be radically honest with yourself about, you know, like where you stand and where you're coming from and all these things to start self-exploring sort of, uh, you know, like self-reflecting, like uh, reflecting on things and in your life and not the circumstances, not all these uh, events that happen to you. Like that's where you, you start to see how, how much of, of a of a victim you've been, mm -hmm. and then once you see this, like this happened to me, and this happens to me, and this happened to me, and this happened. And I'm, at some point, you realize you're like, oh, like mm -hmm. I've been like, you know, I mean, I don't want to be that, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to keep like blaming the unlock or the poor like. I don't want to keep blaming anything. I don't right. want to blame the school system. I don't yeah. want to blame my past. I don't want to blame my injuries. I don't want to blame, like, I don't want an excuse. I just want to own it. And I want to yeah. own it and make make the best of it and then stop being a, a victim of everything that happened in the past. Like, why don't you make, that's why I told him, like, at some point it came to my awareness. Like, why do I make every, like, things that happened to me that happened for me like why do i why can't i use everything that happened yeah i think that's for me yeah that sounds know? like it's the biggest hurdle i mean being yeah. able to accept that fact that that not not the whole world's not against you and things aren't actually happening to you yeah yeah, yeah exactly well exactly. you know that's a very important message and uh, i was talking to a friend of mine today and he wrote this to me about your story he watched your video and he said you know you're he's a very brave 
and very brave guy with an honorable pursuit. And uh, he wondered why there's so many hockey players that suffer from mental illness. And, and I don't know if it's different from other sports, but it's obvious that there's been some connection to CTE and mental illness. And he, is there, was there a general kind of toxic culture in hockey locker rooms that, that leads to substance abuse and, and deepening mental illness, things like hazing and bullying and racism? And is there, do you think there's the, a rotten, uh, something rotten in hockey culture? Uh, no, I mean, uh, honestly, like when you look back, it's, it's crazy. Yes. You, it's like, but it was like this in, um, like police academy. It was like this and like mm -hmm. everything. There's like these, these, uh, you gotta, you're the rookie. And like, it was this, like, even like college and people going through stuff. And, and, um, so yeah, there's something like completely wrong in the hawk. Like it would before when I, was joining and the way they were um uh sometimes with the rookies and stuff like it wasn't it wasn't right and i heard like many stories that are not mm -hmm. right um um but you know i from from coaching in that league like i mean and from playing all these years like i can like i didn't i can see that things um is not like that in junior right now yeah. you know what i mean like it things has evolved um things are, are there's i didn't see any any sort of things like that um like the 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 rookie would have to um they would do things where they would sing you know or things like that it was like fun embarrassing I mean, yeah yeah but like, you know it was that um no it would sing in the bus and that's the kind of like the things that would uh, they would do right right now you know it's like a fun thing yeah. where everybody go in front and sing and i mean like i'm all for like to have some like things like this and make it fun and like guys like everybody think it was funny after and everybody yeah. like um uh i don't think like uh, nobody has a uh, trauma from going in front and having to sing to the team you know yeah. like it's uh, uh i don't see anything uh uh anything wrong with this yeah. um but yeah like all the 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 races uh, racism and bullying and and everything that happens and um back to when i was playing um you know is it was it's it's completely um i'm glad it's it's not like i'm glad it's it's it, this is not happening right. in junior. I mean, I'm not saying it's not happening. I mean, not like it, it used to. No, certainly, place, certainly not. Things has completely. I know that from what I saw, I witnessed things have completely changed. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's good to see. And and you know, I think that there's a uh, there's respect and people are more aware. Um, and I think that there's been a major change and. And I think the junior hockey league, I mean, I think it's an amazing league. Um, yeah. You know, it's uh, it has evolved. Like, it's not like, and it's like, you know, it's any other sport too. I mean, I feel like, uh, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's the same thing of when um, back then with the racism and like when the 
the white had to sit in the back and the black in the front till like Rosa Park went and sat yeah. in the back and like you know what I mean and now yeah. you look back you're like that made no sense back then that things were like that but you know it's just all yeah I think it's I agree it's more of a societal yeah. thing I don't think it's yeah. a, I don't think it's actually a, a a, a hockey problem it was a societal problem yeah. and i mean it happened Absolutely. in all sports it happens in all major companies and like you know these things have just been improving year by year but you know in yeah. in recent years we keep seeing all these links and connections to it seems like you know maybe it's just because uh, a lot of canadians and guys like me we focus on hockey so much and we put so much thought and into it but there seems to be a connection between the guys who are enforcers in in hockey and mental illness and it's like mm. is it does it have something to do with the sport or does it have more to do with the person who decides to to take on that role or do you have any thoughts is there any do you even think there's a connection between the two um yeah i mean there there could be um um i cannot say for sure um i mean i know that um I know enforcers that retired and um and completely happy um uh they didn't go through um any any mental illness or whatnot or um and then uh, you know there's a lot that went through it um I you know c t is something that very uh you know, it's still very new, and it's. Uh, I remember when I saw, became aware of this, and watched the movie with Will Smith, yeah. uh, Concussions. I start to paranoid. You know, right. like I start to had fears, and I was like, um, like this was like, oh man, do I have to Like what? Like is like you know, you already start freaking out, and then. At some point, I had to snap out of it, um, and then just uh, just keep like uh, embracing more this moment. Um, and but you know, I feel like for enforcers, um, I feel like I said earlier, like it's such a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, and for an enforcer, it's even more so. I mean, yeah. just think about the intensity going into one fight yeah. or you go into two fights in one night or or things like this. Like, it's it's intense. And sometimes we, we aren't necessarily um, educate to how to be after, let's say, after things like this and you go home and then you just want to... Like you don't want, you don't know how to transcend this, uh, these experiences of roller coasters and how to. Uh, it's very intense. So I mean, it's um, a lot of them start like drinking and um, to cope with it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So um, or self medicating or or things like that because it, it it's intense. But you know, there's some some people that had the uh, the the um, knowledge or wisdom to know more about how to be with their how they feel and and uh not escape uh whatever is going on you know i was escaping a lot of things so it's just that's a compound effect and it's snowball effect and it's just uh some point you get depressed and everything is out of proportion you know yeah well you've certainly proven that uh there's a way to get yourself out of that and and continue to tell your story and continue to uh, encourage people and you know give people um 
the, you know, the knowledge that they can, they can get through this and, and there's people like you out there to reach out to. And I've done a lot of listening to, to, since I started following you on, on social media, um, I've listened and I've read and I've understood you. Uh, it made me a better person, mm. to be honest. It made me realize, oh, nice. it made me really want to open up to my friends and talk more mm. about, about things like, like mental health and, and try to make it, you know, just kind of a normal conversation that you can have with a friend. And um, yeah. some, of the, some of the things that you said really hit me, and I wanted to talk, just uh, wrap things up here, a couple of quotes that you used, and one of them was, I have what it takes to get through this moment. Can you explain mm -hmm. that to me and tell people that listening what that means? And that's like, that's, that is like still today is still with me. Like it's still like through whatever, whatever it's happening, whatever, like it's circumstances, right? Everything is like, is how you view your circumstances. Like mm -hmm. everything is, there's the outside and then there's the inside. And then so, but you, it's like I remember when like I was um uh, at some point when I was like suicidal or you know I I would like start saying that and it's just like um it's just like you know I get like I have like and then once it became clear that like through each moment I have not just I have but I am everything I need, you right. know, like, so, um, I have everything I need. I have everything I need to get through this moment and I have what it takes to get through these moments. And then, and it's sort of like, take you out of thinking of all your fears that create so much anxiety or, you know, like your, all the circumstance of these roadblock or these, these, uh, unpredictable event that just happened. And, um, so it it helps you like to step out of the, all the like all the the bullshit outside of you, mm -hmm. and then you just go back and to here now because sometimes you can be sitting in your backyard in front of a bonfire and you think of all that thing like ahead of you, and you just feel like a completely overwhelmed and mm -hmm. yeah you don't have what it takes but you know you're not there yet. You don't have what it takes for what's over there because you're still here. Right. So you don't, you're not going to have what it takes in advance and you can say it. And yes, once you get there, but like really right now, it's all you have. It's all you need. It's all you, it's always going to be right now. It's always going to be right now that you're, you need and that you have what it takes to get through. So you're sitting there and you can just like, Step out of these circumstances, you know. And another tool I'd like to share um, that I do is sometimes I just, you know, how they they talk about like think positive, think positive, and yep. blah blah blah, and you have what it takes. But it's not like sometimes I will just go there and I would just go see myself going through all these things and 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 like my whatever I fears, like I would go there and like experience it. Right. Like, like purposely, consciously going there and experience it. Mm -hmm. And then I would go there again and go there again. And then at some point I don't fear it. And right. then I'm more free of it. And I can like just now I can get excited about making things happen so that fear doesn't come to reality. But, 
you know, it felt like it's very a beautiful tool for me to consciously go there and in acceptance of this happening unfolding like this. And then by, by like facing that fear consciously, then I know at some point I no longer like I fear less, less, less because I feel like I already experienced it. And then by not fearing it, then you can say, you know, uh, courage comes and, you know, um, and then you're more like excited about making whatever you want to make happen. So yeah. this is another tool that I've used. It's tremendous advice, Pascal. And I mean, uh, I can't thank you enough for being uh, so honest and candid about it. Um, you, on you started coaching a couple of years ago, and and I'm I'm wondering how did you how did that transition feel for you? And, and now that you're so involved in uh, as an advocate for mental health, has it changed how you how you coach and and how you look at the game of hockey? Yeah, I mean the way I coach, I mean, uh, I mean for sure it changed, or you know the way, um, the way the way like. The relation, I mean, I can, I feel I can relate in so many, you yeah. know, on, uh, on different level, um, you know, and I'm very, um, I'm very curious and I get interested in these guys. And um, so, you know, I, I want to know and I'm glad when they open up and I'm glad when they share. I mean, like, yeah. uh, you know, in my experience in the, at the junior level, like, you know, I'm, it happens uh, many times that it's like, it's like out of the blue, like just like laid it out and unfold and like just like express and then even like tears, like you know, like it was. Uh, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. You know, for me, I was making an impact, and, um, and that's what it's all about. Oh, no, that's what it's all. That's of what course. it's all about for me. Like it was like I knew, I knew I was like. It was no like not, none of this was coincidental, you know. Like I knew that he needed me to be there, and I needed him to be there too. Like so, I could like uh, be more of my uh, purpose to to be present and make you know um, impact their life for yeah. realizing something or help them uh, liberate themselves more of certain things, event that happened in the past. So yeah, I mean it's been it's been great for that. Um, I feel like it's a good combination mm-hmm. um, to be able to do both and 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 be a sort of a and you know you you still love the game and and then you get to um, to help them more, you know. Right. So tell me, uh, what's next for you, Pascal? Where do you see yourself? I know you're you're making a, a name for yourself in Indianapolis right now, doing some coaching and you know um, being an empowerment coach. Where does the what's the future hold for you? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> that's good. I don't know. <laughs> um, and I've been I've been pretty good with that though. Like um, you know, I'm there. I'm doing this. And, you know, I, I have written a book and it's been, um, uh, it's been written and, um, it's like the whole, uh, um, process or, or things for, to get it out. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's challenging and, um, 
um, it's like really like an un, uh, unexpected uh, hurdle or things that I, you know, yeah. I didn't know. And it's a, it's an industry that I was, I'm not familiar with and right. that I wasn't familiar with. So, uh, but I'm still, uh, I'm still planning on, on, on get it out and release it. And, um, um, I just don't know when yet. So that will be, that will be in the, uh, something that, um, I look forward to. And, um, but besides that, it's the, it, there's a lot of, I don't know. And I learned to, um, feel, uh, okay with the, I don't know. I mean, the inspiration comes and things, they show up yeah. and then I go after, but, um, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of, I don't know, and I'm okay with it. So it's, uh, and that's great. That's a comfortable yeah. feeling. My wife, my, uh, my kids, my wife, my family, um, it's, uh, it's, it's been amazing. So, I mean, I feel like grateful every day, um, for my family and, and my life and right. everything. So awesome, man. Um, quick shout out to my friend AJ back in Cape Breton. He was especially excited to listen to this episode. Uh, someone who struggles yeah. uh, with mental illness and uh, he has a young boy playing hockey and he, he was really interested in hearing your story. So thank you again, Pascal. Can you let yeah. us let, let my listeners know how they can get in touch with you or how they can follow you on social media? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, my website, uh, pascalmorency.com or, um, yeah, social media or, um, uh, it's Pascal Morenci. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll send, I'll put uh, all those links out for people when, uh, yeah, when we put yeah. the episode out. Yeah. That's awesome. great. Um, so listen, man, I can't thank you enough uh, for doing what you're doing. And um, I really wish you nothing but the best in the future. And um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. But I am going to keep you for an extra minute. Are you okay with doing some overtime questions? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Overtime is brought to you by Yardley Brothers Beer. Got yourself some spicy chicken wings or delicious pizza? What better way to wash it down than with some Yardley Brothers beer? That's right, folks. We're stoked to have Yardley Brothers beer as one of our sponsors. These guys are known for their scrumptious sour beers, as well as loads of other delicious brews like Lama Island IPA, Hong Kong Bastard Imperial Ale, Quit Your Job Saison, and my favorite, Machine Man Pale Ale. Want to get some of this delicious stuff inside your belly? You can find it at The Globe, Hill 65, Roundhouse, or Lama Grill. Well, heck, even swing by City Super or The Wanch. They got some bottles there. Find yourself wandering over on Lama Island? Yardley Brothers even have a beer shack over there. Their new location is even closer to the Ferry Pier. They'll be serving cold pints from November. Visit their website for more information at yardleybrothers.hk. Overtime! Now, Pascal, we're going into overtime. I'm going to ask you a series of 10 rapid-fire questions or one-timers, followed by one final bonus question for our listeners. Are you ready? No. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I like it. All right. Crosby or McDavid? Uh, great player. <laughs> you got to pick funny. one. Crosby oh. or McDavid? Oh, okay. Got you. Yeah. Uh, Crosby. Nordiques or Whalers? Nordique. Price or Rask? Price. Brashear or McSorley? 
Brashear. Ovechkin. Or did he? Yeah. <laughs> Ovechkin or Malkin? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. I'll go with Ovechkin. Lindros or Neely? Uh, Lindros. Scott Stevens or Wendell Clark? Wendell Clark. Matt Sundin or Peter Forsberg? Hmm. Peter Forsberg. Pierre Maguire or Kelly Rudy? Um, not that familiar with those two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Maguire. Go with Maguire. All right. <laughs> fighting or no fighting? Uh, that's, I mean, I've, I mean, I think there's, uh, I don't, I mean, it's, it's, it's a complex one. It is, uh, isn't it? Yeah. It's still complex for me. So, I mean, it's, uh, I can understand uh, that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, mean, let's I still, I still think there's a, place but yeah. at the same time I understand like everything that's going on I mean I don't know I just have questions too so alright well finally if you could play one more game in your career what rink are you playing in and are you scoring the game winning goal or are you dropping the mitts with the biggest guy on the other team <laughs> um I mean, it's hard to pick one rank, you know, like, uh, like Cape Breton for sure. Bridgeport, I played there. They, they, these are two plays that I played three years. Yeah. Um, it's the longest that I played. So I'd say Bridgeport and Cape Breton. Um, as far as, uh, uh, the goal or the fight, I mean, they both sound good. <laughs> yeah. I think you could do both. I think you could drop the mitts and score the game winner. <laughs> Yeah, I think I could do both. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, there you have it, folks. From Pascal Morenci, thank you so much, man, for being such an incredible role model. And again, I wish you nothing best, nothing but the best to you and your family. Keep up the amazing work, my friend. And uh, I look forward to uh, reading your book. And please come back on the show next year when that book or whenever that book comes out and uh, have a talk to us about that. Perfect. That's a deal. All right, buddy. I appreciate you. Awesome, man. Thank you. That was Across the Pond, and that's a wrap. All right, thank you to our amazing sponsors. As always, The Big Bite, Yardley Brothers Beer, Ben Marin's Photography, Sunset Studio, Print House Limited, and Asia Sports Tech. Finally, thank you to Lauren Orris and Fiona Chow, who have helped us as advisors and liaisons to Hong Kong's hockey world. To support the podcast, check out our amazing merchandise on our website at acrossthepondhk.com. Check us out on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at acrossthepondhk. Wow, dude, that was incredible.